guys hear me? How you guys doing? Good to see you. Hey, are you guys enjoying uh, the Daniel series so far? I feel like it's been a lot of fun. I feel like God has grown me a lot, and it's just been, um, this book is super challenging. Uh, one of the things I said at the very beginning of this series is this book is like, it's going to feed you. It's going to make you like want to draw in closer to Jesus, and it's also going to like challenge you straight to your core, and I feel like that's been the experience for me, and I hope that's been the experience for some of you. Um, but our desire here at 710 is just, we just want to be a community of young adults who are who are faithful to Jesus in a society right now. Because our society so desperately needs people who know Jesus, who know the truth. So, um, yeah, I'm really excited for uh, our message tonight. Tonight we're actually going to be in Daniel chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles, uh, you can open up to that chapter. But um, I want to ask you guys a question. Have you guys ever had a day... When you're just done, you know what I'm talking about? Like, you're just like, I'm just done with life right now. Like, it's just way too much. Last uh, week, I had one of those weeks, and it kind of culminated to a day on Friday. I was, so, to give a brief kind of picture into my world the past two weeks, my wife was super sick for like two weeks, ended up going to the hospital, a lot of sleepless nights. I was concerned about her being sick, and then there's just a bunch of stuff going on at 710, and just different conversations that I had to have, different personal things I was dealing with, and it kind of all culminated last Friday. I, uh, I went home, and I'm, like, falling asleep in my bed at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. I, like, don't even want to talk to anybody. I'm emotionally exhausted. I'm irritable. I, just, I was like, and if you guys know me, like, that's just not me. And um, one of the things that I, I, I realized in that moment, and God just, like, you just got to get with me right now. I was just having one of those, like, God, like, I just really need you right now. And one of the things that came to my mind was just the idea that perspective shapes how you live in the present. Isn't that true? Like, I was just, like, so busy in my own world. I was thinking about the things of, like, my agenda, trying to get all this stuff done. And it was just stressing me out. And I just, I had to come to this moment where I was just, like, at the end of the day, life is about Jesus and his kingdom. Like, at the end of the day, life is about Jesus and his kingdom, and living for him, and in that I find my rest, which is funny because that's actually the main point of the chapter we're talking about tonight. I want to actually read you, these are five verses from the chapter tonight that are, are just like streamed throughout the whole chapter. So Daniel chapter 4 verse 3 says this, his kingdom, that's referring to God, his kingdom is an eternal kingdom whose dominion endures from generation to generation. Verse 17, the most high God is sovereign over all the kingdoms on the earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. Verse 25, the most high is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. In case you didn't hear it again, verse 32, the most high is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. And then the chapter is going to end with his dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. And see, Daniel chapter 4, if you've been tracking with us throughout this story, King Nebuchadnezzar, who is the king of Babylon, who has enslaved the people of God, the people of Israel, he actually is having like this growing awareness of who the God of Israel is. Like, and the, a lot of us have had that experience. Like, you may have not had that moment. It's like, oh, I like totally understand who Jesus is now. But Jesus has kind of like slowly been revealed to you like as you go. And that's been the story of King Nebuchadnezzar. And here in chapter 4, I love this chapter so much because it's, it's his own written personal testimony of how he came to know the truth of those verses. 
And I, I really, guys, you guys really have to, like, understand this. It's so easy when you read the, Bi- the Bible just to go, like, oh, this is just a biblical story and kind of, like, you almost treat it as fantasy. But, like, Nebuchadnezzar was a historical king who actually lived. And this is an actual experience that we have recorded of him, of how he came to know that the king of all kings, the king that rules over everything, is Yahweh, the, the creator God of the universe. And so in this testimony, as we walk through the story, there's actually three characters that we're going to learn things from. There's uh, Nebuchadnezzar, and we're going to see that King Nebuchadnezzar is a builder. We're going we're to talk about Daniel, we're going to see that Daniel is a challenger, and we're going to talk about God, and it's going to see how he's actually a humbler. And, and seeing all these things and these people, we're actually going to look at our own lives and see how, how we respond to those things. So Daniel chapter 4, let's get into it, uh, verse 1. Um, And if you don't have uh, a Bible with you, you can uh, follow us up on the screen. So verse 1, King Nebuchadnezzar, to the nations and peoples of every language who live in all the earth. So this is for the whole earth. May you prosper greatly. Verse 2, it is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. Verse 3, how great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. So right off the bat, he goes, this is the point. The God of Israel, the God of Daniel, like his kingdom rules over all kingdoms. He's the ruler of all creation. And then in verse 4, he goes into his story of how he came to see all these things. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contended and prosperous. I had a dream that made me afraid. As I was lying in bed, the images and visions that passed through my mind terrified me. So I commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be brought before me to interpret the dream for me. When the magicians, the enchanters, the astrologers, and the diviners came, I told them the dream, but they could not interpret it for me. Finally, Daniel came into my presence, and I told him the dream. He is called Belshazzar after the name of my God, and the spirit of the holy gods is in him. So right after that, here, we need to get some, like, the backstory, like, what's happening here. Nebuchadnezzar, he is a powerful king. Like, he is an absolutely powerful king, and he's a builder. Like, right off the bat, we see that he's a builder, and he, um, we kind of need to get, like, a window into his heart. So if you actually read Daniel 4, and you combine it with some of the words at the end of this chapter, I just want to read this to you. It says, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace. So he's chilling in his palace. He's contented, which means, like, he's, like, satisfied with his possessions, his status, his situation. He's just relaxed. Twelve months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the, of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, and this is his heart, is, is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? So Nebuchadnezzar, he's hanging in his palace, and he's looking over everything that he's built. And it's pretty incredible. Like, it's extremely inc- incredible. If anybody had a right to humanly boast, it was Nebuchadnezzar. He built, uh, like, so many different things. He built an empire, and arguably it was the greatest empire on the globe at the time. He built a culture, and according to historians, it's actually recorded as the Neo-Babylonian culture. So it's, like, recorded, it's, like, this was a famous culture that he created. He built an educated, multiracial government administration to further his kingdom. It was a brilliant idea in his mind, and it actually worked. He built a city called Babylon, which was, like, the capital city of his kingdom, which, as Shannon mentioned this a few weeks ago, but it held the Hanging Gardens, which is today among one of the seven wonders of the world. 
Like, this guy was a baller. And to top it all off, he probably did it by 30. How, how are the 30-year-olds in the room feeling? He did this probably by 30. So if anybody had a right to be humanly proud, wouldn't it be Nebuchadnezzar? But here's the problem. In all of Nebuchadnezzar's buildings, in all of his accomplishments, in all of his power, he still refused to acknowledge what God had been trying to teach him for years. That his throne, that his power, that his reign was given to him by God. He could not see it. See, Nebuchadnezzar, he was turning the gift of God into his own glory. He was taking the very gift that God had given him, and he's using it for his own, own glory. Now, let's stop for a second. Can we be honest? We're all Nebuchadnezzar a little bit. Nebuchadnezzar lives in every single one of us. See, just as Nebuchadnezzar, he was a builder of his own kingdom, don't we take the gift God has given us, and we use it to build our own kingdoms and our own empires for our own fame and our own glory? Don't we all kind of wrestle with that? Um, I, I, I think about the way that our society, like Nebuchadnezzar to me is a picture of like our society. Like we just, like everything that's encouraged, everything that's expected, it's like use your time, use your energy, and use your money and just build your own kingdom. Like build and build and build. And if, if it's not big enough, just keep building. If you're not satisfied, just keep building. And it's like this ongoing pursuit of this kingdom that we're supposed to, to, to build. And one of the things that's really challenging about this is that um, that's a restless pursuit, is it not? And a lot of times, this actually happens for us at a subconscious level. Like, we don't even realize, like, we're chasing, we're aiming for all these things that the world is chasing after. It just kind of, like, happens. It's like this default programming. But one of the ways, one of the indicators that you can actually test, like, how do I know if I'm building my own kingdom rather than building for God's kingdom? And I was, I was thinking about this, and it really comes down to one of the ways I think is, where in your life do you feel threatened by other, others? Like, where do you feel threatened by others? Because if you're building your own kingdom and somebody's a threat to your kingdom, then you flare up inside, don't you? You guys ever had that experience? But if everything's about building for God and his kingdom, there's actually a rest that comes with that. Because you can't, you can't, diso- you can't be disappointed when you're building for, for Christ. I saw this quote, and it talked about the, the eyes of pride. pride. Pride's eyes are always directed sideways or downwards, comparing ourselves with others and endlessly trying to outdo them. Like, pride's eyes are never looking up. Like, when I have a prideful heart, I'm never looking up to God to praise him, to glorify him. I'm always looking sideways because I'm trying to compete, or you're looking down on somebody because you're better. See, here's the thing. This is why some of you in the room are so anxious. This is why some of you are so, like, uh, there's a lack of rest in your soul. Or maybe there's actually, like, you're living and you're actually, like, there's, like, an anger to you. It's because there's this endless pursuit to build your own kingdom, and at the end of the day, it's not working out the way you thought it would. I had a friend um, that I actually met at 710, um, probably before a lot of you guys were even here. And I won't say his name, um, but he he ha- has always wrestled with, um, and many, many of you in the room, myself included, could probably relate to this. But he really wanted God's kingdom, but he really wanted to do his own thing with it too. And he was the back and forth of like, I want to live for myself, but I want to live for God. 
anyways, I was I had this weekend where I told you guys where I was really reflecting on on the Lord, and he texted me this. He says, I need your help. I don't want to live the life I'm living anymore. I don't ever want to feel this hurt again. And I don't know how. I feel so far from God, I can't even pray anymore. I don't feel any desire or calling from him, just hurt and anger that pushes me further away, and I'm tired of walking away. He says, I need you to pray for me, and I need your help because I don't want to walk away again, and I don't want this life ending this quick, this life of building my kingdom. I'm exhausted, and I can't take it anymore. See, that's what, that's, some of you, that actually might be, like, words for your experience in the room. Like, I am worn out. Like, I'm living the way that I want to live, and I'm, like, absolutely worn out. And maybe if you're an unbeliever, you don't even realize, like, these biblical lingos, these words that we use. But you know that experience. Like, I'm on an endless pursuit that's leaving me in a place of disappointment. But that's why I love the words of Jesus. He says, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything that you need. So, so the question is not if we are builders. We're all builders. It's what 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 kingdom are we actually building for? What kingdom are we building for? So in Nebuchadnezzar, we said he's a builder, and we're called to build for God's kingdom. Let's look at um, the, the following verses. Daniel chapter, nine, uh, chapter 4, verse 9. So uh, I said, Belshazzar, this is King Nebuchadnezzar, chief of the magicians, I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you, and no mystery is too difficult for you. Here's my dream, interpret it for me. So Daniel's had a track record of interpreting dreams and so he brings in uh daniel again and he says interpret this dream for me i don't get what's going on these are the visions i saw while lying in bed i looked and there before me stood a tree in the middle of the land its height was enormous the tree grew large and strong and its top touched the sky it was visible to the ends of the earth its leaves were beautiful its fruit abundant and on it was food for all under it the wild animals found shelter and the birds lived in its branches from from it every creature was fed in the visions i saw while lying in bed, I looked, and there before me was a holy one, a messenger coming down from heaven. He called in a loud voice, cut down the tree and trim off its branches, strip off its leaves, and scatter its fruit. Let the animals flee from under it and the birds from its branches, but let the stump and its roots bound with iron and bronze remain in the ground and the grass of the field. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven and let him live with the wild animals among the plants of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man and let him be given the mind of an animal till seven times pass by for him. The decision is announced by messengers. The holy ones declare the verdict so that the living may know that the most high is sovereign over all the kingdoms on the earth and gives them to anyone he wishes and sets over them the lowliest of people. This is the dream that I, King Nebuchadnezzar, had. Now, Belshazzar, tell me what it means, for none of the wise men in my kingdom can interpret it for me, but you can because the spirit of the holy gods is in you. So that's a pretty weird dream, isn't it? So like he says like a tree and it's getting cut down and the animals were in this tree and like it's just kind of weird. So Daniel comes in, he goes, then Daniel, also called Belshazzar, was greatly perplexed for a time. So he's like, I don't even know what's happening right now. And his thoughts terrified him. So he starts to realize the meaning of this dream and he's like, oh boy, this isn't good. So the king said, he notices Daniel, he goes like, he obviously doesn't look like he's in a comfortable place. He goes, Belshazzar. Do not let the dream or its meaning alarm you. Belshazzar answered, my Lord, if only the dream applied to your enemies and its meaning to your adversaries. He's like, uh, this isn't good, just so you know. So I wish it applied to your enemies. 
the tree you saw, which grew large and strong, with its top touching the sky, visible to the whole earth, with beautiful leaves and abundant fruit, providing food for all, giving shelter to the wild animals and having nesting places and its branches for the birds. He goes, your majesty, you are that tree. You can picture Nebuchadnezzar going, oh, jeez, this isn't good. You have become, he goes, you have become the birds. No, he doesn't say that. You have become great and strong. Your greatness has grown until it reaches the sky, and your dominion extends to distant parts of the earth. Your majesty saw a holy one, a messenger coming down from heaven and saying, cut down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump bound with iron and bronze and the grass of the field while its roots remain in the ground. Let him be drenched with dew of heaven. Let him live with the wild animals until seven times passes by for him. This is the interpretation, your majesty, and this is the decree the Most High has issued against my Lord the King. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. Imagine Nebuchadnezzar at this point. He's probably like, this is weird. You will eat grass like the ox and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Almost there. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. The command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots means that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. Therefore, your majesty, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be that then your prosperity will continue. So this is a pretty interesting scenario. So Nebuchadnezzar has this dream, and he's like, this is really weird. Daniel comes in and says, listen, this big tree that was powerful that's getting cut down is you and your kingdom. He's like, you're about to get cut down. And what I thought was so fascinating about this when I read it was that um, Daniel, if you were Daniel, think about this for a second. Wouldn't you just be thrilled about this dream? Yes. Like you would, like most likely, if you were Daniel, you would hate Nebuchadnezzar. Think about it. He committed genocide on your people. Most likely, many people you grew up and knew were executed by him. And not only that, you personally were stripped from your family and were now enslaved to serve this king. In Daniel, Do you notice his heart towards the enemy in this? He goes, only if the dream applied to your enemies. And and I don't think that's Daniel going, oh, like, he's just, like, kind of, like, you know, fluffing it for Nebuchadnezzar. Like, I think it was, like, Nebuchadnezzar, like, I really wish this applied to your enemy, but this is you. See, one of the things that this actually shows us is that the test of spiritual maturity isn't just measured by how you deal with pride in yourself. It's actually also measured in how you deal with the downfall of pride in other people. You know what I'm talking about? Like, you know when you have, like, that boss or that political person that you're like, I just want to be one of them. I just, oh, that would bring me so much joy. See, Daniel, if anybody had the right to do that, this is Daniel. And Daniel goes, like, oh, my gosh, I wish this applied to your enemies. See, how you respond to the downfall of pride in other people reveals a lot about who you are. For Daniel in the story, his enemy, Nebuchadnezzar, the king that is, like, like inflicting violence on his people, he actually loves his enemies. He's a picture of Christ. And so what this, what this really beckons in our hearts is, do you, see, do you enjoy seeing others humiliated, or do you pray for their restoration? See, Daniel challenges our hearts towards our enemies in this. I also want you to see that Daniel, 
he, he, he actually speaks truth to power. So I thought this was so interesting. So verse 22, he goes, Nebuchadnezzar, you are that tree. Like, he, like if I were Daniel, I'd be like, I'm either going to lie about what this dream is about or I'm just going to get out of town before he even has an idea. But he goes, he goes, listen, you are that tree. And then he says, your majesty, be pleased to accept my advice. Nebuchadnezzar didn't ask for advice. He goes, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be that then your prosperity will continue. What's also also very, very fascinating is that Daniel could have said anything to Nebuchadnezzar. Like he goes, like Nebuchadnezzar, like don't you think it's odd? He goes, show your repentance by being kind to the oppressed. He could have said, Nebuchadnezzar, show your repentance by offering more sacrifices. Nebuchadnezzar, show your repentance by going into your room and praying. Like he could have said any of those things, but he says, be kind to the oppressed because he knows that the oppression that he's caused have hurt a lot of people. And here's the thing. When a prideful heart gets into power, it always results in oppression. It always results in oppression. There's two uh, Christian psychologists named David Myers and Malcolm G. And they have this quote about uh, pride and power. They said, the Bible does warn against self-righteous pride. Pride that alienates us from God and leads us to disdain one another. So pride does two things. It alienates us from this relationship vertically, and it disrupts this relationship horizontally. Such pride is at the heart of racism, sexism, and nationalism. All the deadly attitudes of superiority that lead one group of people to see themselves as more moral, deserving, or able than another. The flip side of being proud of our individual and group achievements and taking credit for them is blaming the poor for their poverty and the oppressed for their oppression. So when, pride gets, when a prideful heart gets into power, it always results in pain for the people in society that are the most vulnerable. And this is a massive problem because the heart of God really, really cares about the, the poor and the oppressed in the Old Testament and in the whole Bible. Daniel, who was a Jew, would have been raised with the Jewish scriptures, and he would have meditated on verses like this, Psalm 146, 7 through 10, where it says, He, that is God, he upholds the cause of the oppressed, and he gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. And the Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the foreigner and, and sustains the fatherless and the widow. But he frustrates the ways of the wicked. The Lord reigns forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations, praise the Lord. So Daniel would have meditated on verses like this. He's like, God's heart really cares about the vulnerable. And he also would have known that his people, the people of Israel, were an oppressed people in Egypt. And so all throughout the biblical story, you see that Daniel's heart was attuned with God's heart because God's heart is committed to the poor and the oppressed. Therefore, the truth that Nebuchadnezzar needed to hear was that to show his heart's transformation, he needed to prove it by replacing injustice with justice and kindness and compassion. See, what this teaches us today is that we not only, 710, we don't only have the option but we have the responsibility to have a heart for those who suffer under oppression. And listen, I know many of you in this room, and I know many of you in this room have suffered from that. And I want you to know that God's heart really, really cares. And 710, as we seek to imitate God, that needs to be our heart as well. Like, with all, like let's just be honest. With all the talks about injustice in our country right now, I just want to ask the question, like, has your heart cared? And have you had the heart of God towards those who are hurting? Or are you just kind of like wanting to distance yourself? 
And Daniel shows us that we have to have a heart that really cares about these things because the heart of God is that we would be righteous. But not only do we have to have a heart that cares, but Daniel also shows us that we need to have the, the confidence in the Lord to actually speak truth to authorities who are inflicting this oppression on us. It, it's right here in the scriptures. Daniel could have said anything, but he goes, I know God cares about this, and I know this is what Nebuchadnezzar is doing, and I know that he needs to show his repentance by being kind and loving his neighbor as himself in this chance. And in that, we find that as the people of God, we need to have a heart for the oppressed, and we need to speak out for the oppressed when we see it. So we see here that Daniel is a challenger. Now let's look at God. So um, verses 28 through 33, this is is what happened. So this dream, Nebuchadnezzar's confused. Daniel goes, listen, you're the tree. Unless unless you repent, something really bad is going to happen to you. And verse 28 says, all this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. Twelve months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, Is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power for the glory of my majesty? Even as the words were on his lips, a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone who pleases. Verse 33, immediately what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from people and ate grass like an ox. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. So here's the thing. God gave Nebuchadnezzar 12 months to repent. So it wasn't like, hey, this is your dream, too late, no chance to repent, like, judgment. God gives Nebuchadnezzar 12 months to repent. By the way, on top of everything that's already happened in this book, that God's continually just come after Nebuchadnezzar, and Nebuchadnezzar is still on the roof of his palace that he's built, satisfied, boasting in the gifts that God has given him, boasting in his rule, which God had given him, and all these things. And so here's the thing, with a kind of like poetic justice, remember last week, Shannon was talking about how Nebuchadnezzar was asking people to worship him? right? So Nebuchadnezzar had this like idea that he was more than human. So in this poetic justice, God kind of makes him less than human and, and sends him out to the animals in, in like in this complete disillusionment and insanity. And that's what sin does. Sin makes us kind of like less than human in a way, like less than the way that God created us to be. And, and Nebuchadnezzar, he would have had no problem if God ruled in heaven. Like Nebuchadnezzar knew about all sorts of gods. That wasn't a threat. The, the threat with the God of Israel is that the God of Israel, the God of heaven, ruled on earth. So which means that he either had two options. He had to submit to God's kingdom or he had to resist it. And his heart was so hard towards God that he just could not submit. He just could not submit. And he had to resist. Let me ask you a question. Are you submitting to God's kingdom or are you resisting it? Like, in your own life, like, are you submitting to God and his ways? Are you submitting to Jesus as your king? Are you really trying to follow him with a genuine, humble heart? Or are you just resisting it? God, I just want you out of my life. Because scripture teaches in Romans 8 that, that the heart, and it's natural.
natural condition apart from the life of God is like at enmity with God. Like, I want you out of my business. I want you out of my life. I want to be my own king. And it completely resists, resists God. And here's the thing with Jesus. Jesus is not indifferent to, towards those who resist his kingdom. He will give space for repentance, but if refused, he will bring judgment. That's just what the scriptures teach. Like, here's the thing. Like, Jesus wasn't crucified because he's like, I have this radical idea. Let's all love one another. And they're like, crucify him. Jesus was crucified because his kingdom that he, that he launched and that he announced, it, it threatened all kingdoms. It threatened those in power, and, and they just couldn't handle it. So they said, we just got to get rid of this guy. Which, which leads us to this principle that, listen, God wants humility, not humiliation. But if necessary, he will humiliate the proud into genuine humility if there is no other way. I think I need to say that again because some of us may need to hear it. God wants humility. He doesn't want humiliation. But if necessary, he will humiliate the proud into genuine humility if there is no other way. So, so 710, let's voluntarily humble ourselves before God so we don't have to learn the hard way. Let's continue with our end of the story. Look at verse 34. And here's what we see about God, that God is a humbler. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heaven, and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High, honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? The same time that my, at that same time, my sanity was restored. My honor and my splendor returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out and I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, this is where he ends up, I praise and exalt the, and glorify the king of heaven because everything he does is right, and all his ways are just. All those who walk in pride, he is, these are the humble. And so here's what I want you to see with this. Nebuchadnezzar, in his insanity, in his madness, out with the animals, he was only healed when he lifted his eyes to heaven. He wasn't healed when he looked within he wasn't healed when he looked to his, his neighbor. He cried out to any human figure. He was healed and he was given sanity when he lifted his eyes to heaven. See, Nebuchadnezzar, in his insanity, is a picture of our lives in front of Hartford Park. We're, we're, we're the less than human ones out of the kingdom. Total madness. Total madness. And here's the thing, living without Christ is a sign of madness and insanity for two reasons. One, because we were created by God and for him, which means to try to live outside of his kingdom and in his ways is actually like being a fish out of water. Like it just doesn't work. Like we weren't designed for that. We weren't created for that. So it's this type of madness to try to live any other way. Two, in the end, Christ's kingdom will have the final victory, so there's no point in resisting it. I, that's just such good news for me. It's like I just try to like so often I just catch myself like I'm just building my own kingdom and I'm doing my own thing. And I was just like, first of all, this makes me so miserable. <laughs> and I'm so I'm at so much unrest. But also I'm like, Christ's kingdom in the end is going to have been done. Christ Christ has already given me a name, so I don't need to create a name for myself. And Christ has already given me a kingdom, so I don't need to 
try to create my own. There's so much truth to resting in the fact that God rules. And here's the good news for us tonight. If Nebuchadnezzar could be restored, then so can you. If Nebuchadnezzar can be restored, then so can you. If there was one person on the planet, you guys ever have, for the Christians in the room, have you ever had those friends that you go like, there's just no way God can use them? Like, they're just too hard-hearted. Like, they're just too, they're just way too into themselves. They have, and honestly, their life is pretty great. They have all the things, like, they have the girl, they have the guy, they have the money, they have the car. Like, there's no way God could break down that hard covenant. Nebuchadnezzar, it was that person. Like, if you would have told the people of God, the king, the most powerful king in the world, humanly speaking, yeah, God's going to humble him and actually restore him to himself, they would have been like, yeah, right. See, here's the thing. If Nebuchadnezzar in that level of pride can be restored to God, then so can, so can you and so can I. And the good news of the gospel is that Nebuchadnezzar, he was the king who was forced to be humbled and humiliated in his pride. But there's a better king in the story. And that king is Jesus. Jesus was the king who voluntarily humbled himself. Who voluntarily humiliated himself. So that in our insanity and in our madness, apart from God, we could be made whole. And we could be be made sons. And my invitation to all of you tonight is to lift your eyes to Jesus. Like, lift your eyes to the one seated on the throne with all power, with all authority, with all grace and mercy and kindness, and to be restored to yourself. Because I know for me personally, when I walk in my own ways, I feel like a madman. And maybe that's you in the room. If you don't know Jesus, like, I just feel like the throw out of my mind. <laughs> and the offer to you today to come to Jesus and uh, to come to your senses. And the last thing I'll say is Nebuchadnezzar, he boasted in everything he had. He boasted in everything but the God who gave him all those things. As Christians, the only boast we have now is in the cross and victory of Christ. That's what we boast in. Like in our weakness, he is strong. When we were sinners, Christ came and died for us. And because we have a kingdom that he's given us because we have a name, we just praise him and we just honor him. And that's good news, isn't it? So let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, we, uh, we love you so much. And um, Lord, we, uh, we're thankful for Nebuchadnezzar's testimony and how he, um, Lord, so personally walked us through his story of how the God of heaven humbled him, Lord, and took him to a place that he wouldn't go himself so that he could be restored back to God. And um, Lord, I'm thankful for that miracle because that miracle is a miracle you've done in my life. God, um, apart from you, I'm a builder of my own kingdom and my own reputation, and I don't want you. But Lord, I'm thankful that through the Holy Spirit, God, you have awakened me to, to new life, that you've taken me from enemy to friend, and God, you've done that just by sending one of my brothers and sisters in the room. Jesus, I pray that you would teach us to be kingdom-minded. I pray that we would seek to live out your ways in the world. God, I also pray that you would give us the heart of Daniel in the story. God, that we would have a heart for the hurting and the oppressed. I pray that we would have a heart for those who are prideful. God, that we wouldn't want their humiliation, but we'd want their restoration. God, I pray that 
would teach us to voluntarily humble ourselves before you so that um, we would not have to learn the hard way, that we could be saved from so much pain if we just trust you with our lives. So teach us to trust and rely on you. And uh, Lord, I pray that you would call us up in in our time this morning. Amen. We're going to have about like one or two minutes of just time for personal reflection and prayer. And uh, I actually asked Connor to sing a song out of this message called We Fall Down. And there's there's some lyrics in this uh, song that I want to put before you before we sing them. And it says, uh, it talks about how we fall down and we lay our crowns at the feet of Jesus. And in the story, we see that it's so tempting to wear the crown and to be our own king, to want to do life our own way. And we come in this moment, and as you sing, and as you sing those lyrics, we lay our crown at the feet of Jesus. And then in the song, it'll say, we sing over and over, you are my king. And together, we need to confess that tonight, that Jesus is our king. Jesus is our king. So in your time of of prayer, um, I want you to do two things. One, I want you to confess the ways that this week you've tried to be your own king. And I just want you to tell God about how that's that's been for you. And And I want you to just confess that. Scripture says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then the last thing, I just want you to ask God. The series is called Rooted. And I want you to ask God that you would be rooted in humility before God as your king. That we would walk in humility. That we, our, our roots would just grow down into just a humble posture before the Lord. He says, Lord, whatever you want, I want. And I know I desire things that you don't desire. And I, I submit those to you. And I pray that you would help me to change those desires. The only thing that we can do is present our weakness to God. And in that, his power flows.